Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Content Pros. We are really excited today. We're joined by Andy Crestadina. Thanks, Andy, for joining us. Chris, thanks for the intro there. And uh, it's very exciting to have Andy on the show and, and talk a lot today, hopefully, about you know design as, as far as it's concerned with, with content. Uh, Andy leads Orbit Media Studios, uh, where he's the co-founder. But I, I believe, Andy, you often call yourself also uh, the temporary CMO. Uh, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you, you juggle those roles. Sure. So it's a 15-year-old web design company. We're here in Chicago. I do a lot with just supporting the team, working with clients, uh, high-level sales. I'm very active with our clients and the work we do building websites. But the other half of my life is as content marketing officer or chief marketing officer. And I do just a lot of writing, a lot of speaking and teaching. It's the, the, the blog and interviews and uh, conferences. And so, um, yeah, that's how I met Jay. And that's how most people know me is just where I'm teaching usually either analytics or SEO or something about content strategy. Well, speaking of content strategy, one of the things you mentioned in the lead up to this show was pretty memorable and it stuck out to me. And that was, you know, trying to create your own statistic and standing out above the noise. So I know that you guys do some original research. Could you talk a bit to, you know, what original research you do and how that shapes your content strategy? Sure. So the strategy behind this is to find the missing stat. So the theory is in every industry, there is a statistic or that is missing or there's a frequently asserted but rarely supported soundbite that you just hear all the time. And in our industry, in marketing, you hear this. It's just people say, well, blogging is hard or blogging takes time. But no one had really answered the question of how much time. I had never seen a study or a statistic that showed like blogging takes X number of hours per post. So last year we did this. We asked a thousand bloggers. Uh, uh, 11 questions. The first question was, how much time do you spend on a typical post? And we learned that the average time it takes to produce a blog post is two and a half hours, right around there. And um, it went over so well that we did it again this year, and we got another 1,000 bloggers to ask 11 questions, which was a ton of work. It was hundreds of outreach emails to get people to answer these 11 questions. But yeah, that's the theory, is that uh, every industry has one of these, the often asserted, never supported soundbite statistic. And if you can produce that and own it and have it on your site, it's going to be just shared everywhere and linked to and mentioned from everywhere and it's just really a way to kind of conquer your corner of the internet through a tiny bit of original research uh, because it's something that almost no one else is, is really doing. That's, that's great and I, I think that's that's so true. I think one of the problems that people probably struggle with is how do they go get that, that soundbite? How do they get that one stat? So, you know, what's the advice that you give to people to go, you know, do a survey or, you know, what's the, the easiest way to go find that stat that's going to be relevant to your audience? Sure. So it starts by just listening for that statement. Like, what are people saying but not supporting? What statistic would help the entire industry make a better case for itself? Uh, and then when you, when you get to that, you just need to come up with your own mini methodology to produce it in some way that takes, you know, less than a million hours. So another way that we did this once, it's like, well, what percentage of websites are using the homepage slideshows versus uh, featured images? Well, you need a data set. So 
to produce something that is actually meaningful, you need to find that group of people. So in the case of the blogger survey, we just went to LinkedIn and we just did tons of outreach and found a lot of bloggers to answer the question and kind of kept the tally running until we knew we got to something statistically significant. In the case of homepage slideshows, we went, we went to Alexa and just found the top, you know, clicked into business websites, clicked into marketing subset of business and found the top 50 marketing websites just according to somebody, according to somebody reputable, which was Alexa. And then we just had um, uh, found a, a low-cost resource to click through each of those sites and then collect data on what percentage of sites were doing this versus that. And uh, there you've got your stat. I love that. And I, I think you offer a unique perspective too, Andy, because in, in many cases, I think people focus on content as only written words. And, and we know that pictures, videos, tons of imagery, that, that definitely works. But with you guys being such a design-heavy shop and also doing a great job at content marketing, how are you seeing those two converge? You know, how is design impacting content or vice versa? Yeah, it's all visual. I mean, we're, we're producing a form of content now that's audio, of course, but there's a visual aspect to podcasts, right? Every podcast has appeared, has a little thumbnail that appears, um, you know, in iTunes or wherever it's promoted. Uh, everything is visual. So we all have to make sure that we're capturing scan readers' attention as people skim through the Internet. Uh, more, the survey shows this. More and more bloggers are using multiple images per post. So I recommend that people never produce any content at which there's a scroll depth where it's a desert of text and you're just looking at a whole bunch of words and there's no image. So a lot of blogs are going a little farther with this and making sure that there's multiple images. I just saw the BBC doing this the other day. Uh, content or uh, Social Media Examiner has been doing it for a long time. Multiple images slow down your scan readers, keep people more engaged, reduce bounces, increase shares. So we just have to be more visual. You just have to produce something. I think I don't overemphasize quality. I mean, any image will slow people down and, and get people more engaged, but uh, you can't, you know, never publish a blog post without an image. The best images have the headline of the post in the featured image, maybe a face in there as well. And the best posts are the, the, the people who are really going deep on, on content are using multiple images per post. Uh, it's proving to be a winning tactic. I, I couldn't agree anymore on that, Andy. I mean, you know, one of the things for, for my company at Uberflip is we're often complimented for, you know, first and foremost, being caught on that visual image of being drawn into post. And it was interesting. I was I was searching around on, on your site at orbitmedia.com, you know, leading up to this podcast. And one of the, the interesting things I found uh, on your team page was that uh, one of your team members' title is actually content designer. Uh, so maybe you can... Tell us a little bit about you know how you build that, that visual content role into your team these days, or for some people, how they may outsource that. Yeah, it's a giant gap. If you just build websites and don't help clients populate those sites with content, then you're really not offering a complete service. So uh, we've added that, and it's very helpful. That person works on the design team. So there is integration between the, uh, the content production and the web design itself. So what happens is you know that you're building a site that has an area here where you're explaining your value proposition, and then you've got two to three lines to explain it. Well, unless the designer uh, and the copywriter work together and they know that that amount of space is going to be used, then it's possible to create content that doesn't fit. And, you know, there's a lot of writers out there that don't understand white space. They don't understand visual prominence. They don't know how words and, and images fit together. So it's the tighter the integration between the content development and the web development, uh, the better the outcome will be at guiding the visitor's attention through a series of steps and pages uh, during which they become more trusting, 
and more interested in taking that action and converting from a visitor into a lead or subscriber or shopper, uh, you're going to miss that opportunity unless you really have that built in and, and those people are talking together all the time. So Andy, you hit on quality as it pertained to images a, a bit ago. And I'm curious because you know, with everything you know about design, obviously you guys are pre-engineering much of your content for success because one, you have data to support it, and two, you guys are designers. So you actually understand, like, here's how people interact with things. We should try to build that into our content. But where are you finding the balance between quality and quantity? Because I know that lots of people are still using Twitter and other micro-blogging micro services, and many folks are still doing very short blog posts in addition to the long-form things because some of the assets take a lot of time, like surveying a 1,000 people. I mean, that's a huge amount of effort. So where do you guys strike the balance between quality and quantity? Well, when you think about frequency, I recommend that people tune the frequency of their content and publishing to the length of a sales cycle and to the buying interval. So web design, it takes people like a month or two to decide who to hire for the website. And you don't need a website every day. You need it every three to five years, let's say. So if people spend months deciding who to hire and years in between buying, why do I need a daily blog? You know, we publish bi-weekly, or I write on my own site bi-weekly, and that's plenty because it's enough to keep us top of mind with prospects and with, and with uh, past clients. So I think a lot of people are just really pressuring themselves too much, and that's reducing their quality. Quality is, like we said, I mean, research. Publish something that's worth linking to, that's worth sharing. Uh, the deeper the quality, the better the results. More people are finding this. The blogger research actually is showing this. So I think it's really much more about who can make the best page on the Internet for that topic. That's who wins. That's who wins in Google. That's who wins in social. So it's not, you know, a few rock star posts every few weeks will crush a medium quality, you know, daily, just another blog, you know, just... It's like pouring water into the ocean. Really, the internet's not waiting for another blog. <laughs> Produce something great. Make it quality. Make it make it something that you would brag about to your mom. And now you're on the right path. Yeah, I, I think that's so dead on, Andy. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen people doing a lot these days is even removing the dates from from their posts because you know some of these posts are timeless. Um, and uh, you know that's one of the things I even saw on, on your blog is you know some of these posts. I don't know when they were written, but they're they're applicable to me now, and I'm essentially a new cohort coming in. Now, one of the other things I observed just you know looking at your guys' site as I was going through is just the simplicity of it. And I then found a post that talked about some of the best design standards for for websites. Um, and I found some interesting things in there. Uh, one which I often talk a lot about about you know leading people away from the site uh, too often to find content on social platforms. So how do, you, how do you urge people to strike that balance and really get the content on their site versus off their site um, and where to place you know, those social icons? Yeah, I wasn't the first to say this. I'm not sure who did, but where there's traffic, there's hope. You don't want your visitors to leave your website. The distance from the visitor to the contact page where they become a lead and convert or to that subscriber box where they become a, uh, an email subscriber uh, is critical. So if you have big, colorful, candy-like buttons at the top of every page sending people to Pinterest and YouTube, the bad news is they're not coming back. Why would you want your visitors to leave your website and go to a social network? I mean, it sounds counterintuitive because we all want engagement, and I get that, but the click-through rate from these for-profit companies back to your website 
where the visitor is yours is very low. I mean, the click-through rate from YouTube to company websites is like 0.7%. There's just tons of cat videos and ads and competitors on these sites. I don't recommend that you send people, you know, I, I love Pinterest and a lot of my friends are on Facebook, but really, how does it help my marketing to send my visitor away from my website where they could take an action that helps my business to a place that's a for-profit company that's beholden to shareholder value with a million experts who are really going to be you know, working hard to keep that visitor there. Uh, any good thing that you want them to do on social, they can do it right there from your site. Follow, share, like, th that stuff. So you know, keep your visitors, get those social media icons out of your header. If anywhere, put them in the footer and gray them out until the, the visitor rolls over. So I'm sitting here cringing a bit because we do have some icons in our header. And there are other reasons <laughs> for that. But I, I think you make a very valid point. And one thing I was thinking when you were talking about that, a lot of folks talk about curation now. And you're doing original research and you gave us your thoughts on that, but you know, so many people are curating other folks' content and adding a paragraph or two or some unique thought, but they're always linking to something else. And there are services that do this for you and many folks are subscribing to them and just plugging in other people's content, which is leading people away from their site. So how do you feel that fits into a content plan or should it? Sure. We want the visitors on our site. These rules apply to, to all of our clients and most people I meet. For your sake, what you guys are doing with those icons at the top of your site, you live on a slightly different planet. Uh, you're getting amazing results and you are dearly loved by people all over the web. So it's it's a very different thing when you've got a brand and a, and a you know a set of content the way you guys do, being such authorities. Curation can definitely send people away. What I'd encourage you to do, and all the big blogs do this, you know, if you've got a guest writer on your site, uh, you want to go through that and during the editing process, make sure that that guest post, like everything on your site, links to at least one other post on your site and links to at least one of your product or service pages. Internal links are a giant missed opportunity. A lot of websites and web pages, blog posts everywhere, there's dead ends. You know, you get to the bottom and it's like, what am I supposed to do? Go through your site, look at every page, imagine you're a visitor and ask yourself, what is the desired outcome for the visitor on this page? Is it just end at a, you know, is there a bottom and there's nothing, no no call to action, or was halfway through, were there any links to other pages? The goal of web design and usability is to f get the visitor flowing through to more, to deeper pages, like I said, where they get more trust and more confidence and more evidence that you're legit. So internal linking is just a basic way to make sure you do that. Look for dead ends, give the visitor a path through to deeper pages where uh, they're, they're moving down your funnel closer to that call to action that... Uh, lead generation form. That's that's great advice, Andy. So I, I want to take the conversation in a bit of a different direction because you know sometimes we get very caught up on the design and we continue to make design changes and then it's a matter of how do we actually track the impact. So how, what are some of the ways that, that you help people kind of A-B test some of these changes that they're making to the content design and its impact on results? Hmm. Well, for strict A-B testing, Optimizely and, and a lot of those other tools are just ways to set up simple tests where over time it's going to give people different options and you're going to see which, which wins and then make a better decision. The tests that we've done there, I see dramatic results like, you know, A is 200% better than B. So these things are worth testing. If you don't have the budget or the traffic, you need a lot of traffic to get these tests to be statistically relevant. Um, just follow best practices. When it comes to, then this for UX and design and, and, and um, uh, the site itself, when it comes to the content performance, uh, the answers are really all in your analytics. So 
if you look at, for example, the reverse goal path in the conversion section in your Google Analytics, uh, you can see what people were doing right before they subscribed to your newsletter. You know, the visitors for content, that's one type of visitor, and they're there for research and to get their questions answered. You can actually see which of your posts are doing the best job at that and inspiring visitors to take action on that reverse goal path because reverse, reverse goal step one and two are, are exactly the pages that they were on before they said, wow, this is so great, I'm gonna, I want more of it. When it comes to service pages, now you're looking at uh, you know, the navigation summary in the content report to see which of these things are building enough trust and getting people to act. Any service page that is a top exit page you could support better with uh, maybe a video or some statistic or some evidence. We need to put social proof and, and, and some kind of evidence on all these pages. My recommendation is to never make a testimonials page but rather make every page a testimonials page. You can, it's not A-B testing, but just look in your analytics and you can see which pages are, are uninspiring to visitors and need some endorsement, some association membership or years in business or some indication that you're legit. Never make a marketing claim without supporting it with some piece of evidence. Uh, if you put these onto those service pages, go back and check the analytics later, you'll probably see that you kept that visitor flowing through the site or that you reduced the uh, exit rate of that page uh, to other websites. I love what you just said there because I think we're all guilty of saying like, oh, we need a customer page or we need a testimonial page. And while there is some validity there, and I think you may go there if you're further along in the funnel, right? If you're evaluating, you may want to see other customers. But adding those proof points within normal content or normal pages is extremely important. And, you know, I'm curious the design perspective that you have. It feels to me like when we talk about content, so many folks are just associating that with a blog. Like that's become the hub. And mm -hmm. I think many people are neglecting the website. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that, you know, we work a lot on that at Oracle because we have a, a very popular domain in oracle.com and even for the marketing cloud section. And you know, we're trying to create a cohesive experience, whether they're on the blog or the website and have consistent expectations. But what are some of the things you're seeing from a content perspective? Because I think with the proliferation of social media and everything else that's happened, so many folks are really not spending as much time on their core website. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a huge missed opportunity, and it's a blind spot for a lot of marketers. They're just working really, really hard on the next post, which might get you know a few hundred or a few thousand visitors, uh, but they might have pages that are crushing that every day. They might have dozens of visitors at this very moment on a service page that they haven't looked at in months or years. So we have to think about it this way. There's really two kinds of visitors that use two kinds of keywords that land on two kinds of pages that show up differently in our analytics. Those visitors are either doing research, answering their questions, and they're kind of kicking tires and just you know looking for more information. That's the content visitor. Or they're using a buyer-related, money-related keyword because they have a presumed solution and they're looking for someone that, that will help them. That's that's the uh, that's a more targeted visitor. So these you know the first type of visitor lands on blog posts. The second type of visitor lands on service and product pages, and they're farther down the funnel, right? This person is likely to take an action. So don't just focus. Content's more than just your content marketing content. It's on your pages. It's on your homepage. So go look at the top pages. It's uh, in analytics that would be behavior, uh, all content, and in that report you're going to see what your top pages are. If you're going to spend 10 minutes on your content today, consider polishing up one of those top pages, especially the service pages, because you're going to get much more ROI out of that 10 minutes invested, building up a page that a potential buyer is already reading. Does it have evidence? Is it answering top questions? Does it have calls to action? Is it linking through to deeper pages? 
you know, we don't just need to keep producing blog posts. Go back and work on your core website. You work on your marketing pages. That's where the money is. That's that's great advice. That's great advice. I I, I want to jump a, a bit and and give you a bit of a a call out to something you do locally in Chicago. Uh, given that it's you know we're right in the heart of you know, the fall event season right now. Um, I know you produce an event that's in person, which you know in person obviously you don't have that same opportunity for design, but I know you're a big fan of live events. So can you tell us a little bit about Content Jam and, and what that's all about? Sure. It is a big missed opportunity for a lot of people. So if you if you focus on a kind of a geo-specific audience, uh, you should probably consider doing live events. If you have a real trust, like a B2B service, like a real trust-based transaction where you, you need FaceTime before someone will really hire you, then I really recommend creating your own live event. It's so much fun. You'll build fans in ways that you never could have. You'll you'll see people face to face. You'll get ideas for online content uh, because you're going to be pressuring yourself to to do a great job in front of a, a real audience. So Content Jam is one version of that. We do a monthly event called Wine and Web. We do an annual event called Content Jam. It's just like a mini regional content marketing conference. Uh, this year it's in November, November 5th, I think. Contentjam.com. It's really like a hybrid single track. Uh, breakout session event. Um, we've got some great speakers, uh, including Tim Ash and Angie Schottmuller, um, who are more national speakers, plus a lot of local pros. Uh, and it's so much fun. People look forward to it. We haven't even started sharing it yet, and it's already sold 50 of the 250 tickets. It's a way to build hardcore fans. It's also a way to condition your newsletter subscribers to open, because if you do a monthly event, pe some people get on your list just because they want that, that uh, invite to your next monthly event. Uh, it takes a while to build it up, but there is no community like a live community. I highly recommend people, especially for trust-based services and uh, geo-specific audiences, uh, consider doing a regular live event. It's just so much fun. Well, Andy, you hit on traffic and, and getting in ideas for content and the in-person events. And I, one of our sponsors does help with that, and that's Inbound Writer. And we know that most blog posts and articles fail to drive much, if any, traffic to your website which is the reason you do original research. So wouldn't it be great to know how good or bad your content will perform before you write it? Inbound Writer does just that. It's a content analysis tool that forecasts how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site, your competition, and search engine behaviors. Inbound Writer tells you which topics will work, which won't, and why, removing the guesswork from content creation. This will help you increase traffic and decrease wasting your time. They're offering a free month trial of the tool at inboundwriter.com slash content pros offer. And we'll link that up in the show. I highly so recommend your... that tool. That's oh, I'm okay, cool. to skip tomorrow. Yeah, Inbound Writer is brilliant. I mean, that's going to save – a tool like that will save people from having to produce more because they'll be producing better. Uh, those guys are crushing it, and uh, I'm a fan of Inbound Writer and Skip and everything they're doing over there. I should have just let you do the read. We should have checked on that before the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. You guys have a lot of great connections, and uh, and I, you know, these are not just sponsors. You're endorsing them. You guys know these tools, uh, but uh, I can speak for Inbound Writer. Cool. Well, let's dig into one element of that and competition. So with web design or marketing services, I mean, there's so much competition. We see the maps of all the vendors and you know all the analysis that comes out and shows like. 3,000 marketing services, and I'm sure it's the same for design because so many people think they're designers and then a million are great designers. So how are you guys trying to differentiate from the competition and how is content supporting that? 
Yeah, in our industry it's tricky because the way we started and the way people start every day in this industry, web design, web development, is like just you know two kids and a phone. <laughs> that's really all it takes. The barrier to entry is so low that uh, it's it's a big challenge, uh, and that's a blessing and a curse. The on the content side, right? Anyone can start producing content on almost any topic, and it, the barrier to entry for content marketing is also very low. So here again, we have to focus on quality and ask yourself when you're writing something, I'd consider doing less often, deeper, you know, longer, deeper posts, less frequently. Uh, you mentioned earlier taking the dates off your blog posts. If you're blogging for a while and you realize that you've been publishing a ton of evergreen content that's relevant for a long duration, yeah, you can drop the dates because what you did is exactly what we all should do. Create the mini version of Wikipedia for your industry. Wikipedia doesn't have dates, right? They're, they're writing just useful stuff. They're answering important questions. So if you are really publishing deep, you can make the content irrelevant by building up an email list who wants more of this high value stuff you produced, step-by-step how-to instructional stuff that doesn't skip any any steps in between, uh, visual stuff, stuff in different formats. It, it doesn't have to be every day or every week even. Uh, if you are gradually publishing the Wikipedia for your field, uh, that is the way to make the competition irrelevant, is to grow your email list uh, with uh, people who trust you for publishing more useful stuff on that topic. That's that's great advice, Andy. And you know, there's there's obviously tons more we could dig in on, but we always like to to wrap up here with a with a fun question that, that helps us give context to how people got to the success they're seeing today, as as you are with Orbit Media, and that's taking you back to your childhood and and what your aspirations were. You know, where did you want to be? You know, was it was it involved in content and design, or or did you have a, a much uh, different view on life? Well, uh, I am Generation X and a, a, a hardcore nerd from the 80s back in the day. Like I grew up like as a gamer and reading comic books and that led to kind of my interest in multimedia and I learned how to use uh, uh, Flash back in the 90s. I really enjoyed the kind of center-brained activities where uh, the analytical stuff and the creative stuff meet. So having loved the multimedia of you know just words and pictures and comics it evolved into animation and interactivity which evolved into uh, analytics and measuring results from from creative projects creative and technical projects so this is all just one long extension from being a kid where the things that motivated me most were that overlap between creative and technical between art and science and uh, combine that with just caring about people and loving to teach and you end up as a, you know, a, a content marketer in a web design world, and there's nothing on this planet that I would rather do more than what I'm doing now. Awesome. We love that. And we know that you passed the mom test, which is something Jay Bear's talking a lot about now, which you did mention in the show notes. So that's always good to see. Thanks. It's uh, Moms know. He's absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Andy, thank you so much for your time. This 30 minutes went by insanely fast. I love your perspective, too. I think everyone can learn from that and try to take some design learnings and apply that into your content. So thanks, everyone, for joining us on Content Pros. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow more at contentprospodcast.com. And we'll talk to you next week. I'm Chris Moody, and Randy Frisch is the other amazing co-host. So thank you guys for joining us. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Uberflip, and Inbound Rider, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by Audio